with graduate education um, I mean what it, what are you seeing uh, and what would you hope for the future of graduate education um, gosh that's a good question I hadn't really I, about that. <laughs> I had neither and then the conversation led me to that yeah <laughs> um, I think it, it really depends um, I, I don't I don't even know how to um, sort of put graduate education in um, a collective space in my head because I'm thinking about graduate education in, in professional realms like mm -hmm. um, medical schools or law schools, et cetera, and then um, graduate education in, in sort of more activist spaces, whether that's ethnic studies or uh, queer studies, mm -hmm. gender studies, um, or places who have that potential. Um, and there's just such so many uh, different yeah. divides. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also thinking about um, graduate education in, in my field because all of our, again, the entirety of our field is, is graduate education. We don't have um, an undergraduate equivalent to us. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and thinking about interdisciplinarity when I'm sort of um, considering all of these pieces, um, mm -hmm. because I, I think there's, I think there therein lies a lot of the power um, of graduate education is in our ability to be as interdisciplinary as possible. Um, the roots of our field are interdisciplinary because we haven't existed um, for a very long time. Um, we've, we pull in from, from psychology and counseling, we pull in from sociology, uh, we pull in from gender studies or ethnic studies, et cetera, but it really depends on, on the faculty. Um, there's, there's not really um, um, a core value around interdisciplinarity Mm -hmm. um, and I think that would be uh, really important at the um, at all levels, but I think in particular graduate education levels, um, where potentially we're preparing some future scholars and researchers and and, and professors, um, yeah. is to start uh, bridging a lot of a lot of those um, a lot of the disciplines. I think one um, one issue that comes to mind is how much we're positioned. Um, as, as faculty or as representatives of our various fields to be incredibly competitive with each other. Yeah. Uh, instead, of, instead of collaborative, instead of sort of um, drawing threads uh, across mm -hmm. because we have to publish that solo authorship, authored um, article, mm -hmm. uh, we have to be seen as the expert uh, mm -hmm. and be called upon from the media when our uh, field is being discussed or, or what have you. Uh, instead of spending time in, in just uh, doing some some collaborative collaborative work on our campuses or um, around the country, um, I think where I'm seeing some some hope though um, is in the recent formation of uh, the campus anti-fascism net network. Hmm. Uh, so obviously a lot a lot more so in response to Charlottesville and everything that's uh, that's been happening recently. Um, there's there's been sort of like this um, resurgence of um, anti-fascist work within uh, uh -huh. the, the faculty, and uh, folks who see it very much as part of their work, uh, whether scholarly work or just even their existence as as people on on a particular campus, um, and because there is no necessarily disciplinary track to that, that that is a space that uh, faculty are working together to. Yeah. Um, actualized justice work 
um, in very in very real ways and in, in real time and thinking about what it what it means to um, protect students who are most vulnerable on our campuses yeah. uh, and protect our colleagues who are the most vulnerable um, mm-hmm. on our campuses and, and push folks. So I, I think that's where we can sort of start breaking down some of this stuff and uh, allow it to trickle into uh, uh, graduate education because obviously the, uh, the grad students are also there with us uh, doing this work. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's, you know, you talked about competitive versus um, collaboration. Let's talk more about uh, collaborative work uh, that you see. Do you, uh, some good models perhaps of collaborative work across this, um, this student affairs faculty bridge? Uh, what's happening out there that you think are good models and, um, you know, uh, where, you know, faculty and staff are, are holding each other account, mutually accountable um, for working, you know, w- with each other and with students, um, you know, for um, justice? Yeah, um, that's, that's a really great question to, to think about. Um, I think where I see a lot of really great models in, in my field, um, and maybe it, it's not so much a surprise, um, but again, it's, it's residing with uh, black women and, and women of color uh, who are, who are um, scholars in our field and seeing folks like Dr. Lori Patton Davis and Dr. Natasha Kroom and mm-hmm. Dr. Lisa Stapleton and all of these folks, Dr. Susana Munoz, Dr. Oyan Poon, mm-hmm. just being incredibly amazing um, work with each, with, each, with each other because of the recognition that there's few of us um, yeah. and we're constantly fighting the same fight, so why not fight it together? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and seeing how, uh, how we can support each other, even, even when we are doing this solo work in our, in our own spaces, um, how we can position ourselves as collaborators in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing bits and pieces of that. Um, I think where our field is a little constrained in our ability to really um, push and challenge, especially um, the folks that might be seen as, as the leaders in our field or our associations, is that our field is still very, very small. Yeah. Um, and so lot, there's a lot of hesitation um, to, to, to more publicly speak out, uh, to more publicly challenge, um, because folks are constantly worried about um, Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be seen as um, mm-hmm. a constant agitator and uh, not be given as many opportunities? Um, that's shifting a little bit um, mm-hmm. as, as folks are becoming braver and braver, again, um, thank, mm-hmm. thankfully because of uh, women of color in our fields who are modeling it and, <laughs> and just mm-hmm. doing it yeah. uh, and saying, F it, like, <laughs> you're going to uh, isolate me anyway, so I might as well um, do the good work. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and also I think the other place where I'm starting to see it is for the first time in our field, we have somewhat of, of a, uh, in, a critical mass, maybe, maybe critical is not as, or mass is not the right wor- word, but mm-hmm. uh, a, a, almost starting to become a critical mass of trans scholars. Um, yes. Whereas even just a, a few years ago, um, you could count on half of a, of a hand, I wouldn't even say uh, mm. one hand, how many trans scholars I knew in the field. Yeah. Um, and now there's a, 
great number of us um, and enough for us to um, have started coming together as scholars and saying uh, we want to sort of create our own agenda. We're tired of reading uh, about uh, trans students uh, written by cis folks um, and, and constantly seeing all of these really sexist assumptions in, in the writings mm-hmm. um, and not, not recognizing ourselves when, when we do these readings. Um, and with that, we need to sort of guide and lead that scholarship from now on. And maybe cis folks need to take a break a little bit um, and let us kind of uh, speak our truths. Yeah. And we're, doing, we're doing that collaboratively and collectively. We're not doing that alone. Yeah, and that's happening across disciplines, too. Um, uh, some disciplines, anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in my own, uh, even though uh, it's, it's still very marginal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's becoming more and more powerful and more and more necessary um, to pay attention to it. Yeah. So, and can I, can I yes. just speak to that super quickly? Um, I, uh, I'm grateful for the emergence of trans studies mm-hmm. um, as a field because I think that also allows for that um, collaboration to be happening across disciplines mm-hmm. uh, in lots of different ways. So I just want to lift up uh, Dr. Susan Stryker um, and, and the work that she's been doing in Arizona to um, really sort of bring trans studies to, to the fold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it's the field called uh, trans pedagogy or transformative pedagogy. What would you, how would, or queer pedagogy? How is it, um, you know, what kind of name is, is that being given to um that kind of pedagogical um, field? Um, I don't know that we have necessarily a field just yet. Um, I think a lot of us are doing some thinking and writing around uh, transformative or transformational pedagogies and methodologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of, some of this work is starting to come out, come out a little bit. Um, uh, Dr. Zina Colazzo just came out uh, fairly recently on um, an article on trans epistemology. Um, and, and so we're, we're putting some, some feelers out there. Um, I, I don't know that, uh, I would necessarily call it a field, uh, of its own. Um, and I don't know that I want it to be, cause I, I do want it to be something that infiltrates, um, yeah. all over the place and can be easily sort of, um, moved around. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another, uh, good one, um, that I've recently, um, found is a transfeminist methodology, mm-hmm. um, by, uh, Dr. Johnson. I'm, I'm blanking on Dr. Johnson's uh, mm-hmm. first name. I know it starts with an A. Uh-huh. Um, but there's just these these key pieces of writing that are uh, coming to the front. What I think uh, sort of um, maybe pulls uh, these together is that these are all work uh, that center trans people in our pluralities, right? Because mm-hmm. there's yeah. a singular trans narrative. Um, and that um, is pushing for folks to assume uh, a, gender wor- a gender expansive world as a given. Um, as in mm-hmm. it starts it starts from that place rather than again um, um, either maintaining a trans ex- exclusive binary or forcing a violent assimilation into the existing binary mm-hmm. or very slowly and incrementally doing this inclusion uh, work right mm-hmm. so I, I think I think that's the the, the piece that connects them uh, together um, but I think we're we're still doing a lot of birthing of that work. Yeah, and I would like to um, on the on the website under the resources uh, put some of these key resources so that people can go 
and pursue them and um, and add to them because it's gonna it's it's an emerging um, discourse that uh, is happening as we speak and to it's it's to be up to date is we need a space where we can go and and make sure we're doing our our work. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring class into this social class mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, many institutions. Uh, and and Harvard was the most famous example of this, and and they did a film called Occupation about 15 years ago, uh, where uh, a group of about 20 students occupied the administration building uh, to fight for living wage for hourly staff at in facilities and dining hall at Harvard University, and uh, Agnes Scott College has a similar long haul uh, living wage movement. Um, you mentioned, you know, it, it's, it's uh, people, you know, the point is, um, as Ira Shore said in our very first podcast, the point is not to lose your job, right? Mm-hmm. But how do we, as faculty and, and also higher education staff, um, you know, begin to incorporate <laughs> that it, it really matters, the people who, who, uh, service our food and clean our offices uh, when they're making poverty wages. I mean, how do we build coalitions across those class divides uh, also? Um, and if you know of any uh, models for that out there, because I have found it uh, difficult on both sides of those of the silo in terms of uh, building movements um, for for living wage and not just living wage but you know institutional respect uh and democratized workplace because we're in institutions you know neoliberal capitalist whatever um corporate uh institutions that are beholden to certain things and um those of us who are in um you know justice-centered curriculum and practices um you know, how do we live that out more wholly with all our colleagues, uh, including students and, and all staff? Um, that's, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I want to uh, phone a friend and ask a whole bunch of people to join <laughs> in this conversation. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, it, it may be partly rhetorical, but, um, yeah, I, I just uh, want to throw that out there because it seems, in my experience, that... Um, I can shut down a conversation in two seconds when I mention living wage, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and, you know, we've got a certain kind of uh, plantation or neo plantation here that um, is, is very hard to undo. And I and I think, well, it, it's dragging us down uh, just as, um, you know, when we couldn't get the banner, right? 15 or 20, uh, it's been 20 years probably, you know, that that was dragging us down. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think we're, uh, we're still got some residue that's dragging us down on, in terms of trans issues. Uh, that's, that's my own opinion of that. Uh, I think it's an institution we've got to, you know, continue um, to critique ourselves uh, and grow. Um, okay, I want to switch. I want to. I want to make sure we have some time to talk about leadership, and because uh, you talk about that in your writings um, in ways that I found very, very useful. 
there's, um, uh, I just mentioned the corporate model of the university, and there, there has been more of a uh, glomming on to the sort of Sheryl Sandberg lean-in model yes. uh, than the bell hooks critique of Sheryl Sandberg. Um, and I'm going to use another Grace Lee Boggs quote to get us, get us activated here where you write this in your educator statement, uh, you quote her, I think we have to rethink the concept of leader because leader implies follower. But I think we need to appropriate, embrace the idea that we are the leaders we've been looking for. So could you talk about uh, your work in, in leadership and your, you know, how you're redefining it? Sure. Um... I, I love that Grace Lee Boggs um, quote. I, I try to incorporate that in speaking engagements as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, I can uh, get the opportunity to talk specifically about, about leadership. Um, and then, um, you know, just elevating Ella Baker's uh, work again mm -hmm. yeah. uh, around this and talking about leadership as a mass thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, the other place that uh, I go to right away is and the sort of uh, the reconception of leadership as a leaderful um, project mm -hmm. uh, that um, particularly where I see that happening is within the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. right? Um, the work that uh, Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors and Paul Tometi have been doing and um, Charlene Carruthers in, uh, with the Black Youth Project 100 um, space where folks are really building um, mass capacity and um, mm -hmm. using uh, their platforms that, um, that they've built and gotten access to to push uh, the issues and the causes rather than using the issues and the causes to push their platforms, hmm. um, which, which is what I oftentimes see from um, sort of masculinist spaces mm -hmm. um, of leadership and masculinist conceptions of leadership where people just kind of gravitate to the topic of the day and figure out how to position themselves as someone who speaks to that topic. Yeah. Uh, and, and definitely see that in, in my field as well. Um, but I, that's, that's where I go to when I uh, think about sort of recon reconceptualizing leadership, um, but also reconceptualizing the, the context in which that leadership is happening um, and, and what it looks like, um, that it's, leadership is not the president of the university. Um, right, it's it's not the board of trustees. Um, mm -hmm. It is um, the 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 mass voice of of, of students, are uh, of contingent faculty, of, of the folks that are at the most mm -hmm. marginal. Uh, but it's also the work that's happening uh, in the community of um, folks that are working with uh, and are sex workers uh, yeah. who are constantly redefining our relationship with uh, capitalism and bodies and ownership of bodies and all of this stuff. That's, that's an actualization of, of leadership in a whole different realm uh, that I don't even think we recognize. Yeah. Um, where, uh, where I'm also really intrigued around, around leadership is this thread that came through in uh, the research that I did for, for my dissertation. Mm -hmm. um, I looked at how transmasculine um, college students conceptualize masculinity. Um, and while I didn't expect them to take take it to, to this place, but a lot of them um, sort of discuss the connection that they observed or experienced between masculinity and leadership on their campuses, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
and why I was interested in doing that research in the first place was because I wanted to look at masculinity from a divergent perspective, from an unexpected uh, lens and see what it uh, shines up more so than looking at masculinity just from a cis place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they, they did exactly that around, around leadership because they, uh, they were able to sort of name that connection so much, uh, so, so clearly um, and, and talk about sort of um, even examples of how uh, leadership sort of individualizes and positions themselves as um, the, the folks that are changing things. Um, mm-hmm. So where, where I'm bringing in um, an example, um, so one of, one of the students in the study uh, was talking about how on their campus they were undergoing a federal Title IX investigation, mm-hmm. uh, right? And yeah. how the, the dean of students, um, in response to that, uh, was saying things like, we're a school of excellence, we're a school where men behave themselves, right? It's, <laughs> it's not us, right? This, is, this has no place at the institution. It's uh, you know, just constantly doing this distancing um, rather than owning up to the fact that um, these are folks who are part of the institution, um, mm-hmm. that this is institutionalized, that uh, men and other genders do behave uh, this way um, yeah. and and sort of saw this as sort of like this uh, really masculine way of mm-hmm. uh, individualizing uh, themselves as um, different, as as good, um, rather than um, owning um, and, and, and saying, you know, this, we have created this and so we're going to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to I want to say that your uh, dissertation is entitled "My Masculinity Is a Little Love Poem to Myself: Transmasculine College Students' Conceptualizations of Masculinity." Uh, and I I want to ask when when the book is coming out. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if um, <clears throat> there there is a book or not. I okay. I definitely dream, I definitely dream of that book. Um, okay. And I want to work on it. Uh, there's other projects that are sort of taking up my, my time and headspace right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to come back to it. And particularly because I want to uh, actually solicit um, more stories from folks so that they can sort of share uh, their own words instead of sort of my interpretation of their words. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's there. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's somewhere there. Not, probably not, not soon. And okay. not soon enough for me. <laughs> Okay, well, could you talk about some of those projects that are coming up that have sure. you, uh, that you're passionate about? Sure, definitely. Um, so a couple of the projects are uh, fairly conceptual. Um, there's a <clears throat> excuse me, there's a mm-hmm. piece that I'm working with a colleague, uh, Dr. S. Simmons, on uh, how we conceptualize community, the word community mm-hmm. in research and in connection to gender. Um, and um, bringing in the work of um, Iris Marion Young and yeah. her conceptualization of city life as a different as a, another metaphor to think about community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of work uh, that I'm doing around what what does it mean to trans constructs, um, and this this goes back to an asterisk conversation uh, around what the asterisk does mm-hmm. in sort of being disruptive. Um, mm-hmm rather than um, a population marker. Um, and, and in 
builds off of some of the stuff that comes from the dissertation, but really uh, asking ourselves to what what transing uh, can do to us, rethinking all kinds of different constructs from masculinity to leadership to anything really. Um, mm-hmm. And but the 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 project that I'm most excited about um, is this big sort of thing that we're trying out. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier this critical mass of uh, trans scholars uh, that are that are coming to to be, and uh, we've started talking to each other on a fairly regular basis around um, launching something nationally mm. um, of of creating a study or multiple studies um, that allow us to dig into what do trans folks on our campuses actually want to talk about. Um, mm and actually want to see uh, out there in terms of scholarship. Um, one of the things that <laughs> came up in, in my study was that students were tired of talking about coming out, um, yeah. that uh, they stopped participating in any research that was done by a cis person because they knew that they would have to share a coming out story, and they weren't interested in that anymore. Um, so it uh, actually made me think about, okay, cool, like, I wonder what they do want to talk about, and Uh can we just ask that and then create our research based on that, Uh um, and and do scholarship and work that is actually driven uh, by our community, and and not just driven by the parts of our community that have gotten PhDs and um, work in in these capacities, but really the entirety um, of our communities um, together. So it's it's a kind of a really ambitious project, um, and it really takes on collaboration and interdisciplinarity and participatory to a whole different level. Um, so I don't know that I know what I'm doing, <laughs> uh, but I'm excited for it. I think that's, that's the kind of work that really excites me is when uh, we try out different things and we push the edges of what research means and does. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, that looks like a couple of articles and a book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So what do you want to leave us with today? Because we're coming close to our time together. Uh, What do you want people to know uh, and make sure it gets said? Um, I think if there's anything, I uh, I would like to sort of leave, uh, leave folks with the question of who are your collaborators and conspirators in the work mm-hmm. and who are you a collaborator and a conspirator too. Um, mm-hmm. And constantly you know, being in this place of uh, reflexivity um, in, in sort of how we occupy space on campus um, and mm-hmm. who are we engaged with in relationship. And, and this uh, goes back to your question around class. Mm-hmm. Are, are we in connection with uh, connection uh, on our campuses? Who do we talk to and not hear from and mm-hmm. see and, and don't see? Yeah, um, and and shift that. And I think if we can uh, do that a little bit, um, I think it uh, goes back to what Grace Lee Boggs said around um, finding the humanity in our relationships and, and resisting the uh, capitalization of it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thank you. And um, I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, this has been a great conversation. So, so much to think about here. Uh, and hopefully we'll get some listeners and uh, folks will start to explore these areas uh, a lot more. Um, and to build those connections because, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's past time to, to be an activist on campus. Uh, and we have to create those critical masses across these lines that divide us. It takes a team to produce Nothing Never Happens. And I want to thank my team, including uh, producer emeritus Calvin Bergamy, audio engineer China Wilson, Emily Gwynn, and uh, some new members of the team. Check the website, Tina Pippin, T-I-N-A-P-I-P-P-I-N dot org. The music is orchestrated, arranged, and performed by Lance Eric Hagen. Stay tuned for the next podcast in October with Dr. Stephen Brookfield. Mm-hmm.